You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. How could this be your plan? I've been faithful to your law. I followed every command. And this is what you ask of me? She's supposed to be the mother of my children. That's supposed to be my child in her womb. I was just ready to end this quietly, to just walk away. But no. Now you're asking me to stay? To, to what? To, to raise this child as my own? God, God I, I want to be obedient, but, but this is just too much. This doesn't make sense. I mean, what would my friends think? What would my family think? There's no way I can convince them that this is the truth. I'll never be held. They can't. God, they're not going to understand that this is, this is your child. They're never going to understand. I just, why would you ask me to do this after I've been so faithful? God, I want to trust you. I want to believe, but this, this is just too much. This is just too much, God. I can't do it. I, I can't. Please, God. I can't, I can't do it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Have mercy on me, God. I'll do as you say. She will be my wife, and he will be my son. Can you imagine being in that moment? 
in that space experiencing God asking you to do something so incredulous that it seems impossible. Can you imagine being in the moment where God appears to a man who seems to be just an ordinary man, a man named Joseph, and God asks him to obey and do something that makes no sense on the surface? Can you feel the angst, the anxiety, the emotion as he's grappling with what he knows God is asking him, but he also knows what the consequences are? You know, we tend to think of life as this linear movement and this storyline that is just continual, when in reality, life is not a continual storyline. It's actually moments. You have moments, moments, moments that you move to and from. Do you know that your memory actually doesn't remember everything? Your memory actually remembers moments and your brain fills in the gaps of what it thinks is probably surrounding those things. You don't actually have as good a memory as you think. Somebody said, tell me about it. It's moments. Do you know, it's how books are written. Movies are made. There's a lot of details in the middle of it, but it's really major moments that come together. I still remember in uh, 1992, the spring of 1992, I was in my last semester of undergraduate, and I remember discovering an author I'd never heard of before. He was taking kind of the nation by storm at the time. His name was John Grisham, and he had just released a book called The Firm. And I read The Firm, and I was just mesmerized because you had these moments and these moments, almost like they were not connected. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? And uh, at the later part of the book, they all start coming together and make sense. But at the time, they feel like moments. As a matter of fact, um, that spring, what I didn't realize was, as I'm reading and just engrossed in this novel, what I didn't realize was he was the commencement speaker for my university when I graduated in May. Such a cool moment. Became one of my favorite writers, and I've become an avid reader. He's one of my favorite authors, David Baldacci, Terry Blackstone, Max Lucado, and you have others. I had people come up and say, have you read it? this person? Yeah, I have, but, and I don't mean to leave out your favorite author here. But what every good book, what every good story, what every good movie is, you literally have major moments that come together. It's the way your life is lived. I don't remember a whole lot about 1990, but I do remember September 14th, 1990, when I was at undergraduate at Mississippi State University, and my best friend, my roommate, my fraternity big brother died suddenly of an enlarged heart. No warning, no anything. I remember how it rocked my world. I remember that for the next few months, my life went in a downward spiral because I was not following Christ at the time. And then I remember that it led to January of 1991, yielding my life to Jesus Christ. My life has never been the same. I don't remember a lot about before and after, but I remember the moment vividly. I don't remember a lot about 1998, 
but I distinctly remember March 25th, 1998. It's when after nine months of expectancy, we make our way to the hospital for our firstborn child. I remember everything was going swimmingly. I remember that they induced labor, that they were just saying, just wait, just wait, just wait. You're not there yet. When you get to this point, you know, we'll come in, we'll give you the epidural. It'll be a few hours and then all's going to be well. I remember just hours and hours and hours of that. And then I remember the nurse coming in, doing an examination, and she looked at us and said, uh-oh. And I said, what does uh-oh mean? She said, looks like we're not getting the epidural. I said, oh, Okay. And my wife looked at me as if it were my fault. (laughs) And with a voice that I did not recognize, turned her head at me and said, where's my epidural? (laughs) It's like, what is, we need a delivery and an exorcism at the same time. I remember very quickly, the next few moments were very quickly, all of a sudden the joy and elation of having the birth of Bradley Walters, our firstborn. I remember May 7th, 2000. I don't remember a lot about the rest of the year, but I remember that day. I remember that we were expecting our second child. I remember distinctly having conversations, actually my wife having conversations with the doctor saying, I want my epidural at eight months. Do you understand me? I remember everything is going along. She got her epidural. Things are great. And then I remember looking at the monitors. I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but I looked at the monitor, and I just, I'm just observant, and I noticed that every time there was a contraction, the baby's heart rate would elevate. But then for a few minutes, I noticed that every time the contraction would come, there would be a drop in the baby's heart rate. So I called the nurse and said, what, what's going on here And she said, this doesn't look good. Let me get the doctor. And she said, we're probably going to have to do an emergency C-section. So go on out and tell your family. My mother and my mother-in-law were in the waiting room. And so I went out and told them. And when I came back, no one was in the room. Like no one was in the room. And a nurse appeared and said, get this gown on real quick. We got to go. Put these scrubs on. Let's go. It's an emergency C-section. I remember walking in. I remember seeing my wife, who was terrified at this moment because what we didn't know was it was a prolapsed cord, which means there was not any oxygen getting to the, to the baby's brain whenever there was a contraction, and they had to get her out quickly. And so my wife looked at me, and she said, tell me what's going on. Is everything okay? I remember, you know, they have a divide there. Like little, I remember going, <laughs> as they're doing surgery, as if I know if it's going well or not. I remember looking, and she's like, how's it going? And I'm like, I guess. I remember it happened so quickly. And I remember them taking my little girl Lauren out, spanking her little backside. It was the first of many she would get to, just so you know. (laughs) And I remember hearing her cry, and the doctor looking and going, she's perfectly healthy. I don't remember much about the rest of the hospital stay. I don't remember much about the drive over. I remember those moments. It's how life is lived, moment by moment. And what we don't know is when what seems to be an ordinary moment becomes a holy moment 
that God is going to use in your life and in the life of others. So what this series is looking at is a series of holy moments. Today is God's encounter with Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. We don't know much about him. There's not a lot of scripture about Joseph. I mean, we know he was a descendant of David. We know he was the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know that God chose him to be the earthly father of Jesus. There's not much else written about Joseph. As a matter of fact, there's more written about Herod the Great, the evil king, than there is about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the last thing we know about Joseph is found when Jesus is 12 years old and they make a trip to the temple to make sacrifices. And they come home and they realize they've lost Jesus. It takes them three days to figure that out. That's the last thing we hear about Joseph. What we do know is the Bible says that he is a man that was faithful to the law. What we do know is his one moment of obedience and surrender God used to change the very landscape of your life and my life. But that moment of obedience was not easy. It wasn't easy for Joseph to say yes when everything looked as if it was wrong. Three things I want you to see from the life of Joseph, from his life and for our life. Why it's important to obey even when you don't have all the details. The first one is this. If you expect to please God, you better expect to disappoint people. If you expect to please God, you better expect to disappoint people. In verses 18 and 19, it says, this is how, of Matthew chapter 1, it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let that phrase, while she's still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. The NIV says, and other translations say, he was faithful to the law, and he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. See, an engagement then is probably not an engagement now. Engagements now can be entered into easily and exited easily. Not then. It was a legal arrangement. Once you became engaged, you were all things considered to be married except there was no consummation of the marriage until you began to live together. The only way out of it would be to divorce for a reason. And so Mary comes to Joseph after the Bible says she became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she comes to him and she says, I'm pregnant. Obviously, it's not yours, but I have been faithful to you. Now, we read Scripture and we go, of course. But this is prior to an angel appearing to Joseph and explaining everything. And Joseph, understandably so, is having difficulty understanding what could be happening? He's having difficulty comprehending the fact that she is not, that she's saying, I have not been unfaithful, but yet I'm pregnant anyway. And the Bible says that he decides to divorce her quietly. 
not to publicly disgrace her. You see, according to the law, he had every right to publicly disgrace her, to punish her in front of this because of what he perceived to be unfaithfulness and what everyone else would have perceived to be unfaithfulness too. He knew from this moment forward, when people saw him, they would whisper. He knew when they saw the child, they would whisper to each other the suspicions. He knew that his friends and acquaintances were looking at him saying, when are you going to take a stand for what is right? Give her what is due. But before the angel ever appears to him to explain it, the Bible says he was a man faithful to the law. But notice, but yet he did not want to publicly disgrace her. He knows the law. He's been faithful to the law. He knows what his rights are under the law. And there's a yet there. And yet chose not to disgrace her, but instead to show grace to her. We don't know a lot about Joseph. What we do know is this, is that God chose a man that actually looked and acted like God was going to act towards us. That though God is faithful to the law and righteousness and justice, he chose to show grace to you and to me through his son, Jesus. Everybody is looking at Joseph and they're wondering, when are you going to do what we know is right? When are you going to give her what is due to her? If you expect to please God, you need to be prepared to disappoint people. Two things I need you to know about this is being obsessed with what people think is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. We live in a world filled with social media where people are so consumed by the number of likes they get by people they don't know. Our followers, instead of being a follower of Christ, they're worried about how many people will follow them. And this pressure to make people think there's something about you that they want to follow. People are becoming obsessed with what other people think about them, even when they don't know them. When you become obsessed with what people think, you forget what God thinks about you. But here's the solution. When you become obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what other people think about you. When you live according to those standards, when you are faithful to the law, when you live according to the righteousness of God, but the grace of God, it's the quickest way to free yourself of the burden of trying to please everybody else. Because can I just tell you something? You're never going to please everybody. And the reason you're never going to please everybody is because you don't do what they want you to do for them. If you expect to please God, You're going to have to anticipate disappointing people. But look as it goes on to verses 20 and 21 with me. It says, as he considered this, considered the fact that she's pregnant, he doesn't understand it. He's decided to put her away, divorce her privately and not publicly disgrace her. It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit And she will have a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek 
version or transliteration of the Hebrew word Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Yeshua is Joshua, as you read it in English. The Lord saves, for he will save his people. That's what I want you to name him, it says. Second thing I need you to see is this. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. When God tells you something, you don't have to know all the details. You don't have to understand everything completely in order to obey immediately. One of the biggest lessons I ever learned in this was after we served, after I served here for uh, almost six years, um, God asked us to go out and pastor again. So we went to Canton, Ohio. And while we were in Ohio, I received a call from a, um, the state overseer of our denomination who was over the state of Alabama. And um, he asked me to consider coming to a church in Birmingham. And so I flew down, had, a, had dinner, started talking about it. And to his credit, he told me everything that was going on with the church. It was a church that had gone from 1,000 down to like 350 or so, some, some 300. It was just not in good shape at all. And he said, all of the things that were wrong with the church, and he said, based on those things, he said, here's what I want. He said, I'd like for you to come down, pastor. I'd like to stay involved in this because not only was he the overseer of that state, he used to be the founding pastor of that church. Can you feel the tension there? And he said, I'd like to stay involved in this. And he described how he was going to stay involved. And I just said, um, I don't think that's going to work for me. And he said, why not? And I said, well, it, it seems to me that you want to stay involved for a while. It seems to me you don't want a pastor. You want an associate pastor who can become a pastor. I don't want to do that. And he began to describe those things. And um, um, by, by the way, um, I hope he's not listening because um, <laughs> he's no longer the state overseer in Alabama. He's now like one of the officials of the entire denomination. And we can figure this out via video, how to delete this part later. But... Um, I just said, I don't think I'm your guy. And I said, I don't even think what you're saying is bad. Your plan's not a bad plan. I just don't think I'm your guy for it. And he just said, no, I think you're the guy for it. I think you should do this. And I said, no, I'm not your guy. He said, well, at least stay over and talk to the board of the church tomorrow night. And I said, no, I think I'm going to get on a plane and go back to Ohio. And I didn't even like Ohio, you know. <laughs> for all of you Ohioans, I... Southern boy, Gulf of Mexico, okay? I was like, I'm just going to get on a plane and go back there. And so I did. And the only thing I'd agreed to do was later, a few weeks later, I'd agreed for the end of the year to come back and just preach at that church because they needed to fill in guest uh, speaker that week. And I said, not interviewing, not doing anything. I'll come back and preach. While I am sitting in that service, as the worship is going on, I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, I'm going to send you here, but I need you to trust me. And my brain said, did you hear the conversation we had a few weeks ago? I have no interest in that at all. He said, I need you to trust me. I'm going to send you here. I preached when the service was over with. I went almost immediately to tell my wife. And before I could say anything, she said, let me tell you what God spoke to me during this service. She said, he's sending us here, and we have to trust him. And so we went. 
filled with anxiety and angst about what I knew was going to be a difficult situation that was made worse, I thought, by the way it was going to be arranged. God sent us there, spent five years there. None of those things that he talked about ever came to fruition. We got there and he just let me be the pastor of the church. Learned a lot, prepared me to come back home here. This is the issue though. Most of the time we want to have all the information. We want to have all the details. We want to have all the intricate things ironed out ahead of time. Can I just tell you something? You don't have to know the end if you know God is with you in the beginning. That is not a necessary step or requirement. And God will not do that because it doesn't require any faith. Here's the thing. Think about what Joseph didn't know. Joseph had no idea of the things that he was going to face. He didn't know that this child would not even be born in, the home, in his hometown. He didn't know that the town in which he lived in, Nazareth, that that child wouldn't even be born there. He didn't know that a few months later, when Mary is in the late stages of pregnancy, that the ruler of the entire Roman Empire would declare that everyone had to return to their hometown of origin, which is across the country in Bethlehem, all for one reason, so they could go pay taxes to the government. He had no idea. He doesn't know that the king of that region, King Herod, is going to try to kill this child God has told him, I want you to be, take him as your child. He doesn't know that not only will God take him from Nazareth and take him to Bethlehem, but God will appear to him in a dream and demand that he takes the child out of Israel into Egypt for a while, into their, their mortal enemies. He has no idea that God is going to do that later. He doesn't know that he's going to die early in life and leave Mary to raise this family on her own. He doesn't know that that this child that God is declaring and asking him to declare as his own child is going to one day be wrongly accused, brutally beaten, and murdered even though he was innocent. He doesn't know any of that. Because if he did know those things, he would most likely have said no. God doesn't fill in all the details for us because he knows if he opened our minds to understand the plan that he has, we couldn't comprehend it. And most likely, we certainly wouldn't agree to. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. There's going to come a time in your life where through his word or through his spirit, God is going to prompt your heart to do something that you don't want to do. He's going to prompt you and challenge you to change a job or a career, even though you've had comfort in this one. He's going to challenge you to get plugged in and use your gifts and talents for his glory. He's going to challenge you to join or start a life group in order that you can connect with other people. He's going to challenge you to break away from an unhealthy relationship that you've allowed to go on way too long. He's going to challenge you to invest in kingdom opportunities when the world is saying, spend all your money over here. He's going to challenge you to give to someone personally because he wants to use you as a conduit of grace. He's going to challenge you to stop spending so much time on social media trying to get other people's attention and give your attention to him so that he can transform you. He's going to challenge you to forgive someone who doesn't deserve forgiving, but someone who has hurt you. He's going to challenge you to do those things. And what you do in that moment matters. And it's not just in your life. It has eternal impact. 
Obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. Most of the time, we want God to tell us the outcome in order to determine whether we're going to obey. That is not the way it works. And it bothers me that we are filled with a society of cultural Christians who want to absorb and absorb and absorb and learn and learn and learn. Can I just tell you something? The reason why you learn Scripture and the reason why you learn about God is not so that your knowledge may increase. We are becoming consumers of information when God has created us to be vessels of transformation. That is not what God intends for us. We have to be careful that we have to be careful that our knowledge of God is not greater than our obedience to God. The purpose of learning scripture is so that God can transform us through obedience to his word and to his spirit. You don't have to know everything in order to obey. You don't have to understand completely in order to obey immediately. That is the test of faith. The third thing, you have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. Verse 24, it's so simple, we often just just kind of browse right over it. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. What seemed improbable, what seemed incredulous, he does. He does it by faith. And that one act of obedience paved the way for God to send his son Jesus to provide for us salvation. You see, God could have chosen a human being, an earthly man, to impregnate Mary. But he would have been born with a sin nature. Only because she was, he was, she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did not possess a sin nature, but he had a spirit nature. He became sin for us. He took on flesh. He took on sin, but he was born with a spirit nature so that he could become what we could not be, a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You don't know what one act of obedience will do for the kingdom for your life, or for generations to come. I met this week with a CEO of a company that um, known for quite some time. And they were, they were sharing with me, there were two strategic moments in their business's history. They are very successful, but they have poured so much of what God has blessed them with into so many kingdom opportunities. He said the founder, who was his father, the founder made a decision, felt impressed by the Lord, that not only one day, not only was he supposed to tithe personally, but he said, I felt the business was supposed to tithe before I ever received anything. And then I also tithe. He said that changed everything for our company. 
But he said the other thing was we determined that we weren't going to work on Sundays. Production company. We weren't going to run the production lines on Sundays. He said about five years ago, there was an issue where their major contract, the biggest source of revenue they had, wanted them to produce more. And said, they said, well, we, well, this is all the production capacity we have. And they said, well, you're going to have to work on Sundays. So we can't work on Sundays. There's, this, this is, this is an ideological thing that we have. He said, well, we have to have the production. You're going to have to work on Sundays. And he said, I actually made a decision in, our, in, our, in one of our strategic meetings. I made the decision. We don't have a choice. We're going to work on Sundays. We're going to produce. And he said, some of the people around the table went, don't do this. He said, we don't have a choice. And he said, as I walked out of that meeting into the hallway, my phone rang, and he said it was my wife. He said, through an encounter and a meeting with a person that spoke into her life about something that she had no idea was going on in the company, she told me exactly what he said. He said, it was like the Lord just spoke to me and said, are you going to trust me or are you not? He said, I walked back into that boardroom and said, Forget it. If we lose the contract, we lose it. We're not working on Sundays. He said what happened over the next two weeks was a smaller company they had a contract with that was kind of a problem contract. They decided to go away and opened up the capacity for them to produce the other thing in six days. He said in the last five years, our revenue has increased three times. They are three times greater revenue in the last five years because though it was hard and he couldn't see the way out, there was an act of obedience that God was commanding him to do. In 1971, there was a man who was far from God whose wife had gotten saved six months prior to it. was continually asking him to come to church in his words, nagging him all the time to come to church. Her church was having a revival, and finally, she kept asking and asking, and he said, all right, I'm going one time, and don't ask me again. She said, okay. He said, I went into that church service with every bit of skepticism. And he said, at the end of that revival service, they were giving an altar call for people to just need whatever they needed. He said, we stood up, wooden pews, like in old churches or courtrooms. He said, I grabbed hold of that pew. So I was feeling something I didn't like. He said, I grabbed hold of that pew, and I held on. He said, I was white-knuckling that pew. He said, I don't know what happened. He said, one moment I was standing there holding on to that pew, and the next moment I realized I had stepped out into the aisle, and I was too embarrassed to go back. So I took a step and started walking down to the front. He said, my only prayer was this. God, if I walk down there, don't let me come back the same. He had no idea the impact that would make on his life. That man was my father. who surrendered his life to the call of ministry and preaching and pastoring. He didn't know what impact it would make on his life. He had no idea what it would do in my life. He had no idea what it would do to my children's lives. 
You don't know what one act of obedience can do for a kingdom purpose or for generations to come in your own family. What you do know is this, is that when God asks you to do something, you have a choice. Do I obey or do I not? We can complicate the issue all we want. Do I obey or do I not? For some of you, God has been tugging on your heart about something you know you need to obey him. But you have struggled with it. You've rationalized it. You have reasoned it away. And you know God has been speaking to you. For some of you, the Holy Spirit has been convicting and convincing you that you need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. And that one act of obedience can change everything. And as his namesake said in the Old Testament, Joshua, Yeshua, you have a decision to make. Joshua said, choose you today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes in this place? If you're here and you know when you came in this place, things weren't right between you and the Lord. You can make a decision to follow him today. Just simply pray a prayer, something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you where you were the perfect sacrifice for my sins. I thank you that you are and recognize you're the son of God. And I yield now. I yield my life to your leadership and your lordship. My life is not my own anymore. It belongs to you. And I will never be the same. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to just pray that prayer of profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around except the ministry team and me. I'm not here to embarrass you. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, you know when you came in this place, things weren't right between you and the Lord. You're making a decision to follow him today and say, pray for me this week, Pastor. If that's you. Would you raise your hand really high? Keep it up just a moment, please. Thank you. Thank you. Just keep it up just a moment. Thank you. Amen. You're not alone. Amen. 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 All right, you can put them down. Father, I thank you right now for the lives that have yielded to you, for hope that has been restored, for eternities that have been changed. But not only that, Emmanuel is not just something we sing about at Christmas. Emmanuel is a reality. Is God with us every moment of every day. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray now in these next few moments as we contemplate the things you're calling us to be obedient in, that we'd be bold enough and brave enough to remember how good you've been and to obey you completely in the future. In Christ's name, amen. You should have received one of these when you came in. Would you take these, please? If you did not, raise your hand and someone will get those to you. If you did, just keep your hand really high and someone will get one of these cards to you. Got one right over here. Right here. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. 
These simply say, it was not easy, but I'm glad I obeyed God when. I want you to take a moment, 30 seconds, just write down this remembrance. You don't have to put your name on it, nothing like that. What was a moment in your life where you know it wasn't easy, but you had to obey God, and you're so thankful you did? Just take a moment and write that down. Now I want you to take those, look at them. That's your testimony of his faithfulness. And now I want you to ask God, what are you telling me now? What's the one thing that I'm reminded of your faithfulness? You're telling me now. You don't have to write this down. What's the one thing God's telling you? Maybe he's dealing with you right now. Maybe he's been dealing with you. You know, there's a decision to be made. And you need to make that decision to obey him. Now, if you take that card and just hold it in your hand. And by faith, just repeat these words with me. Lord, you've been faithful when I've obeyed. Even when I haven't understood. So I trust you now. With what you're calling me to. And obeying you with what you're challenging me to do. I don't know how it will turn out, but I know you'll be with me. And I know you'll bring a purpose to my circumstances for my good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate with me today? Seven people made a decision to follow Jesus Christ in this place, amen. Amen. Last thing I want you to do with these, I want us to build each other's faith. That's why I didn't ask you to put your name on it. There are stations out in the atrium when you leave today. I'd like you to drop those off. It's one of those boxes in the stations. They're going to be placed this week so that next week you can come in. And it's not just your testimony. It's other people's testimony about how faithful God has been. If you can't get to that area, just grab someone who is serving this morning, hand it to them, and they'll get it to the right place as well. This is what I'm praying for you this week. I'm praying that whatever God speaks into your heart to obey him, that you'll be faithful, that you'll obey him immediately, and that God's going to bless you abundantly. Would you stand with me, please? Hey, don't forget this Wednesday night, first Wednesday. Um, we're not only having service, but we're also celebrating Holy Communion uh, Wednesday night, so I hope you'll be a part of that service as well. And then join us next week. We're going to be talking about when it's hard to surrender, looking at the life of Mary. Let me, pray, let me bless you before you leave. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace 
in Jesus' name. Let's give our response. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.